1 Thessalonians. And I promise tonight we're going to cover more ground than we have the last couple times. <laughs> Two weeks to get through one verse. <laughs> I keep I'm keeping pace with Dan, right? <laughs> Yeah, you did. It was like two or three verses. All right. Well, Lord willing, we'll get through nine verses, so we'll see. <laughs> Finish out the chapter. It is a pretty short chapter, actually, chapter one of 1 Thessalonians. Only ten verses. I'm not sure who it was that put the verse numbers in the Bible, but when I mean, you look at where we're going on Sunday mornings through Luke, Boy, those last chapters of Luke, they have 60 and 70 verses in each chapter. <laughs> and here you have 10 verses in this chapter. But, all right, Paul's gratitude for their church. What things are you thankful uh, for about our church? What, what things are you just grateful to God for about Bethel Bible Church? What, what's that, Pam? The people and the pastor. All right. Very good. The people and the pastor. Do you have something to say? Yeah, we, yeah, we hear truth here. Yeah, that's not true at a lot of churches. Absolutely. Anything else? The people. Very good. I mean, this is a, you know, you, you are a wonderful group of, group of people. And, you know, we're a, we're a church family, right? I mean, we rejoice and weep together. Uh, any, anything else stand out? We have a dear doctor, right doctor in us, and the Lord has kept us in the straight Yes, praise the Lord. We haven't veered off of, you know, strayed from true doctrine. We continue on holding the truth. The piano. The piano, yes. We're very blessed with the, with the, with the piano and the organ, the, mu the musicians. Very good. Absolutely. Dip. Jerusalem. Yeah, we we do. We yeah we support Israel. A lot of churches don't even do that. They they ignore Israel. They see Israel as obsolete. But yeah, we we see the value of Israel. Jan, did you have a faithful teachers? Absolutely. <laughs> Over the years and even now with with Dan and with Dave and. So many, yeah, ab absolutely. So many reasons. Jenny. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, very, very well said. Yeah, we're small enough. We know each other well. We we know the prayer requests. And, you know, I, I find it interesting, even in big churches. You know, you get churches of multiple hundreds of people or thousands of people. They, in big churches, they try to break the church up into small groups of 20 to 30 people, which is about the size of our church. <laughs> and I, th I think there's, there's you know, good, a good reason for that. We know each other well. So, yeah. And Yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I'm thankful for the opportunity to write. But yeah, and, and people read the, the articles. But yeah, that outreach, 
and I'm thankful I don't, I'm not edited or I'm not censored and not told, hey, you can't write on this or that. And the last, the last few have been kind of up there, <laughs> but uh, it's good. And, and we have an online presence as well. So a lot of reasons. I mean, even out in the community, if somebody asks you, what are you thankful for about your church? I mean, they're just, hopefully you have a lot of reasons. And, you know, as you've already shared. So here, before Paul gets into the real meat of doctrine and prophecy in this letter, he actually his, shows his gratitude, his thanksgiving for the church itself. And many, many reasons. And so we're going to look at several reasons why he's thankful. And hopefully... There are reasons that are, you know, these things are true for our church as well. So it, yeah, it's, it's a reflective time as well. But, um, you know, here, of course, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and even Luke, to some degree, as you read Acts 16 and 17, on that second missionary journey, 50 AD, they went to across the Aegean Sea, and they went into Macedonia, went to Philippi, then they went a couple other places, and then to Thessalonica, and weren't there a long time. And they planted this church, and then they were driven from Thessalonica, and they, and they went on to Berea and some other places. But it says in Acts 17, 16, that they... You know, they were acute, you know, the town, there was this riot and this chaos. And they said, boy, these people are turning the world upside down. I, I just love that. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. We, we need to turn this world upside down. This world that follows after Satan for the most part and promotes evil and wickedness. Boy, this, this world needs turned upside down. And that's, uh, that's what the gospel of Christ does. Let's, let's go ahead and just read through this passage, starting in verse 2 there, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and, and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we, we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to, to come. That's our passage for, for the evening. Let's go ahead and open a prayer, ask for God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you tonight. We thank you for this, this wonderful time when we can study the word together. We thank you for 
scripture. We thank you that it's inspired, it has no errors, it's, it's accurate, it's authoritative, and we can trust it to be right. And, and Lord, we just pray tonight that you would speak to us through the Holy Spirit, that we would understand exactly what it is that Paul is thankful for as he looks at their church as a whole. Lord, as we think even of our church, we just, this church here, Bethel Bible Church, we pray that these same things would be true for us in the community that you've placed us. But Lord, we just, we just pray tonight that you fill me with your spirit, help me to proclaim the truth that you have in your word. Lord, we, we also pray tonight uh, with this outreach that we had this afternoon, these meals were delivered to those in the surrounding, uh, in the surrounding area here. We just pray that would make an impact and each who, who received the meals would would just start to think about our church and, and maybe coming to join us or you know, just stopping by to visit. And we just pray, Lord, ultimately for their souls that they would in time come to faith in Christ. But Lord, we just pray tonight for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So Paul's gratitude for their church. Well, the first, the first thing we see tonight is the reach of thanksgiving. The reach, and this is in verses 2 and 3. Just starting there in verse 2. We give thanks to God. I mean, we know what thanksgiving is, right? We, we thank the Lord. We, are, we know that the good things come from God. But we give thanks to God always for all of you. So the first sub-point is always. Always. How often is always? <laughs> always. I mean, it's just all, all the time. I mean, it's constantly. <laughs> uh, you know, this, this word in the Greek used 42 times, pentote, it means always. Sometimes it's translated at all times or ever, but it, that's just exactly what it means. Uh, always. And same idea later in the book when we get to chapter 5. And all those list of commands, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, all those things. So always, he is always thankful, but letter B, for all of you. So here he's writing to the Thessalonian Christians. He's always thankful for how many people in the church? Everyone. Everyone. That's significant. You think about a church. You think about any church. You think about the church that we go to. Is it difficult to be thankful for everyone in the in the church? Depends on the day. Depends on the day. I mean, we just we're we're all sinners. I mean, yeah, we are saved by grace, but we still have a sin nature that sticks with us until we get to heaven. And we all have different personalities and different preferences. And sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. But you know, I'm sure there were people, even in Thessalonica, that Paul wasn't real close with. But he was thankful for every one of them. Always. He, these are people who, in the short time there, they trusted Christ and they followed his teaching. And were willing to, to obey what he said. And, you know, it's... 
It's so important for, for everyone. Uh, do you think our, our, our relationships would be better in the church if we were always thankful for everyone in, in, our, in our church? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And so that's an example here that Paul gives. Always thankful for all of you. And then he goes on, constantly mentioning you. Now, I'm sure that Paul and Silas and Timothy, they talked amongst themselves as this missionary team. Now, Paul was the lead church planter. He was the head missionary. But this team, I'm sure they talked amongst themselves about the people in the church. But he's not just giving thanks to his fellow workers. Who is he giving thanks to? Right there in verse 2. To, to God. To, to God in prayer. And then in verse 3, they're to start re- remembering before our God and Father. I mean, this is prayer. Always praying and being thankful for every believer in that church. In prayer. It's one thing to be thankful to other people, but ultimately we need to be thankful in prayer. And constantly in prayer, uh, just just talking to God and pouring out our heart, and is so important. So that's that's the reach always for everyone in prayer. So that's the foundation here, and then we're going to see eight reasons I think that stood out to me. Point two here: the reasons for Thanksgiving. Eight things here in these verses to be thankful for the Thessalonian church. But the first one, letter A, is their work of faith. Their work of faith. It says there in verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. Now, we're saved by faith. We're saved. We, We receive salvation from God by our faith that we put in Jesus Christ. We believe that he's Lord. We believe that he rose again after dying for our sins, and that's faith. But faith is not alone. We, yeah, we're saved by faith alone, but as the saying goes, faith that saves is not alone. We have to, there is work that is necessary to evidence that we have believed, that we've, that we've truly believed, and the work of faith. Now, we don't know, we don't know from this verse what it is or what things they were doing, but they, were, they, they lived amongst them for, for a time, and they saw how they lived their lives. And they probably saw how they were before they came to Christ, and the, the, and the change. And that's, that's, really, that's really important. Um, keep your place here and go over to James chapter 2. And this classic passage for faith and works. We could spend a long time on this concept. But James 2, 14 to the end of the chapter, 26, talk about faith and works. You know, we're saved by faith alone, yet faith without works is dead. Uh, look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers? Someone says he has faith but does not have works. Can that faith... Save him? If a person believes but there's no works to evidence that there's been any change, 
if, if a person just keeps living the same sinful life they always were, were living with no change of direction, no, that faith can't save him. If a brother or sister is, here, here gives an example, poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So the example there, somebody comes there in desperate need of what clothing, food. They're just, they're really struggling. They come to the Christian who believes, su- supposedly, and what's the Christian say in the example here? So is that meeting the need of the struggling person? <laughs> no. I mean, they probably feel good about themselves by saying something. They think a nice uh, statement, but it really doesn't meet the need at all. There's no work there that evidences that you you have faith and now you want to help other people. Uh, so it's dead. You don't, the faith is not real because there's no proof that you have faith. And so that's the idea there with works. So... Back to First Thessalonians there, but they, as he thinks about these Christians, there's evidence in their lives that they did believe. Uh, the second thing is, there be their labor of love, their labor of love, in verse 3. Now, the biblical love is not just it's not the kind of love that the world tries to get you to believe. It's just a feeling, and it's a warm, fuzzy feeling inside, and you fall in love, and you can fall out of love. And The biblical love is a choice you make to, you know, to, to put someone else in front of yourself, to, to put their needs as more important than, than yourself, than your needs. Your labor of love and seeking to meet needs. I want you to go to 1 John 3. 1 John chapter 3. Thinking about love. And John, the apostle of love, because he writes about love so much. And he was the apostle Jesus loved. But 1 John 3, starting at verse 16. Just a highlight here from what he writes. 3.16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brothers. Wow. <laughs> do, you, do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ enough to die for them? That, that can be a challenging thing, maybe. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, just similar to James, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or deed, word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So don't just say you love, actually do it. Somebody has a legitimate need, meet that need. If, if you have the means to help them, then do it. And doing that is love. And that shows that you have faith. So as you go back to First Thessalonians there. That's the type of people he's writing about. 
they're making up this church. They have evidence that they've been saved, and they, they are loving. They're helping other people. And, the, and the, the third one there is steadfastness of hope. Letter C, their steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, biblical hope is not just like we use hope these days. I hope so. I hope we don't get any, any more snow this winter. <laughs> We've already had enough, right? Uh, I hope so. No, bi- biblical hope is a confident expectation. You know what's going to happen. It's a promise. And the promise, uh, as we see in this letter, is really the hope of the return of Christ, the hope of the rapture. And we see that later in, in verse 10, how they're waiting for Christ, waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And throughout the book, the rapture is the main prophetical theme. And they're confidently waiting, steadfast in hope. They, are, they know what Paul has taught them, that the rapture is coming. It could come in any time. It could have happened any time in their lifetime, and it still could happen any time. And it's a lot closer now than even then. And they're steadfast. They didn't lose hope. They, they continue on. They, it's, it's dedication. They, they're steadfast. They're patient. Uh, this is the, what Titus 2.13 talks about, the blessed hope, you know, the return of Christ. So their steadfastness of hope. So that's three things, their work of love, or their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope. Hopefully those things are true for us here at Bethel. And then the fourth thing there in verses 4 and 5 is their, their understanding. It's talking about salvation. They understand salvation, and obviously they do because they've evidenced in genuine faith. But they, they understand what salvation is all about. Verse 4, for we know brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So they're, they're understanding. They understood several things. I mean, they understood the gospel because our gospel came to you. What, what is the gospel? If someone is a, just to ask you, can, can you tell me what the gospel is? How would, what's that? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and that's where it starts. Now, more specifically, what did what did he do? What's that? The good news, and that's what gospel means, is good news. Now, what's the good news? Yes, he died on the cross. That's the main thing. That's why he came. He died on the cross, but he didn't stay there. He's buried and rose again. That's right. That's, that's the good news. So that's part of it. The gospel is partly Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. But also, as you, you know, there's hope. Hope, yeah, there's hope of eternal life. Why? Because what Christ did on the cross. We have to. Did you have a comment, Jenny? Yeah. 
Yeah, so Jesus died to reconcile us, to make us to be at peace with God so we could one day go to heaven. But how, how does that happen? Through faith. Through faith. So you have the facts that Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and then the fact that we have to believe. And if we believe in that and ask him to save us, then we will be born again. That's the gospel. So both parts. Did you have a comment, Debbie? It's yeah. It's it's. That's exactly right. He does it all. That's right. I mean, all the work is his. We do have to believe, but that's not a, a work. That's just, you know, we, we we do need to have faith. But he. Yeah, and faith is a gift from God too. So it's all of Him. So very, very good. I'm glad you said that. So that's the gospel, and they understood this. Our gospel came to you, not only in word. Now they, that's how they delivered the message. I mean, that's they preached it, they taught it, they communicated it, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction. They they were used by the Holy Spirit in a mighty way, and. You know, they weren't there very long. And they hear these people, they trusted Christ, and their lives were transformed. And it says there, we, we know, in verse 4, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Um, you know, I think they even understood, to some degree, election as well. But their, their understanding, and so, as he, you know, he's writing from Corinth, I'm here about 350 miles to the south. He's writing and thinking of the, this group of believers. Yeah, they, they truly did understand the gospel. They believed. And they were transformed. And they, there's work to back up their faith. They, there's love. They, they're waiting for the rapture. And those are all reasons to be thankful. And, and that's true. The next one here is letter E. Their imitation, their imitation, verse 6, going on. And you became imitators of us. Well, actually, let's back up to the last part of verse 5. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So here he's, he's recounting their ministry. You, you, you know how we served you. It wasn't selfishly. It was in humility. But you became imitators of us. They, they, were, they were imitators of us and of, and of the Lord as well. So they, you know, they imitated, it says us. Who's us in, the, in that verse talking about? They're, they're, well, yeah, but they're, well, who, who's the, who are the missionaries that are playing the church? Yeah, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They're imitating the Church leaders, they are trying to live a life that matches up with the life that they see Paul, you know, living. The missionaries, and even even today in churches, that's why one of the main reasons God gives leaders to a church or raises up leaders from within the church is so 
Oh, not, not only that they will lead in service and be active in ministry, but they live lives amongst the church people, so there's an example to follow. There's an example to imitate. Uh, go over to Hebrews 13. If you would, turn to Hebrews 13. And toward the end of this book, he does talk about the leaders in the church. And what should be the response of the, of the church members? We'll look at verse, verse 7. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. And what's it say? Imitate, Imitate their faith. Think of, you know, listen to your leaders, especially those who preach and teach the word. And not only that, you should also imitate their faith, their, their way of life. Because hopefully they are walking with God. And they, you know, nobody's perfect, that's for sure. I'm certainly not perfect. But God raises up leaders with, within the church to set an example of the way of life. Why don't you go to first? Timothy 3, and this is the primary passage for the qualifications of elders and deacons, 1 Timothy 3, and in our elder and deacon meetings, the last couple years, we've been going one by one, studying these out, and I know it's convicting for me even as I prepare for that, but as we discuss it, we wonder how do we even measure up to that? Uh, but I just want to read some of this here. First Timothy 3, starting at verse 1. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And I was reminded even up the, at Faith this, this week, uh, one of the speakers read this verse and said, so there's a forgotten qualification here that is, it's usually overlooked. In fact, I've overlooked it. But it's the desire to be an elder. If you don't even have the desire in the first place, that's a significant thing. You, you, you need to have that, the desire from God to serve. You can meet all the other qualifications, but if you don't want to serve, uh, then you know that, that's missing a qualification there. But... Uh, two, therefore, an overseer or an elder must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of, of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So as you look at that, the qualifications for elders and deacons is very similar as well. But that's a very high standard, right? That's a very high standard to meet. And we could spend a long time looking at those. But here Paul and Silas and Timothy, 
met those qualifications as they were in the Thessalonian church. And they helped, they helped that church find men in the church who could also you know, meet those qualifications and serve. But they, you know, back to 1 Thessalonians 1, they imitated us. So they imitated, Paul says, you imitated us as the missionaries. But in verse 6, who else did they, who else did they imitate? The, the Lord. They imitated the church leaders, but more importantly, the, the Lord. And really, the church leaders are imitating Christ, and that's why they're worthy of being imitated. First uh, Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, be, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And that, that should be the desire of all church leaders, to, that they imitate Christ with their life and set an example to the, to the church. So church leaders need to be an example. Church members should be imitating their example as we all imitate Christ. But the next point, verse 7, their example. Here, Paul is thankful this church is made up of people imitating their way of life and imitating Christ. But here it says in verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You see the, the natural pro, pro, progression here. It, they're imitating Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they're walking with God, and naturally they become an example that other people can imitate. And that's, that's how it happens. So as, you know, even in a church, the church leaders set the example as we imitate Christ, and you all are examples, even to those outside the church, of how to live for, live for God. Uh, even in the, in the community, at school, at work, all, all around the region, the unsaved are watching. Do you, do, you, do you think the unsaved are watching us? <laughs> Absolutely. And we often don't think about that, but they are. But their, their example, their lives backed up what they believed. And then the next one is their outreach, verse 8. Their outreach. So here they, they've been imitating the Paul and Silas and Timothy. They have become examples. And now verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we do not need to say anything. This, this is absolutely amazing, I think. In this region of Macedonia, which is now Greece, up there, they, Christianity is a very new thing, especially in that day. And Paul is spreading the message of the gospel to a new region of the world. And it hadn't been there very long, maybe one or two years. And here these Thessal Thessalonians are, you know, they put their faith in Christ and they, their reputation is spreading throughout the region. The news is spreading like wildfire that they've come to faith in Christ. That's, 
well, two things are spreading there in verse 8. Uh, verse 8 says, the word of the Lord is sounded forth. So that's the message of the gospel. Sal salvation by faith in Christ. The word of the Lord. And then, your faith in God has gone forth. Here's the message of the gospel, how to be saved and to be born again. And then their faith has gone forth. The fact that they have actually trusted Christ. That they believe the message that they are spreading. It's going forth. And how, how much had it spread? You know, there, there at the end of that verse. To, to what degree had the word of the Lord and their faith gone forth? Paul didn't even need to say anything. He's down in Corinth helping plant that church there for a year and a half. And he's probably just hearing by word of mouth as he's there in the community, maybe people who traveled to or from Thessalonica, that those, those believers up there are really living for God and having victory in their Christian lives. And that's that's great news. He he didn't have to tell people about the Thessalonians. They they already heard the news. They already knew what was going on, and that was 350 miles away, which is sig significant now, and especially then with travel. But didn't even need to say anything. Now, do you think a church can can have a reputation like that now? There's so many churches, I forget what the number is, that um, something like 250,000 churches in America or something, some, something like that. Uh, do, do you think a church, do you think Bethel Bible Church could have this kind of reputation in, in our region? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Now, it, it may, be, may be more difficult because there's a lot more churches. But if we faithfully follow the principles of Scripture and are outward focused, trying to reach the community and growing, I, I, th I think it's possible. Now, probably not much farther than the immediate region, but you know, we, we exist in a certain region, and that's, that's all really that matters. Uh, but God can do anything. God can, we, we don't want to limit God. But I, I just think that's absolutely amazing that here this church, that they hadn't spent a long time there, but their, their reputation is spreading all around that region. And everybody, uh, unbelievers and believers alike, know about the Thessalonians. Uh, and then the last thing here, the last thing he's thankful for is their repentance. Their repentance. And that's really what verses 9 and 10 talk about. We talk about repentance. These two verses really may be some of the, the, the best verses in repentance in all the Bible. How re, re, repentance is a change of direction. It's, you know, you're, you're going the wrong direction. You're following the course of this world. And you... Turn around. You're, you're following God. And there's this change in your life. So look at what it says. For they themselves report 
concerning us, the kind of reception we had among you. So these are the things he's hearing. And how you turned to God. So there's, really, I, th- I think there's four aspects to this repentance. And they're both, or all four of them are two words. And the first thing is they turn to God. To God. We're all, before Christ, we're all following the course of this world. We're on the broad path that leads to destruction. We're headed toward a certain eternity in hell. But if God grants us the faith to believe and we put our faith in Christ, we turn to God. We, we, we turn around to God. And the second thing, from what? From idols. An idol is something that takes the place of God, the rightful place of God in your life. It could be a lot of things. Back then they worshipped idols made by hands. Of wood and gold and brass and whatever. But what are some examples of idols now? You know, you know here, here, in, here in America. Things. <laughs> things, there you go. Things. things, it could be all sorts of things. It could be the smartphone you hold in your hand. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy to spend a lot of time on your smartphone, on, on a device. Uh, Entertainment, sports. The style. What's that? The style. Styles, the style. yeah, the new styles, fashion. Absolutely. Who doesn't want to look good? <laughs> but if, <laughs> but if you, if that is your driving passion, and you get up in the morning and that's all you're thinking about all day long is I, how can I look good? Well, that, that's become an idol. You should be thinking about God and pleasing Him. So you turn to God from idols. And then the next thing, to, you're not just changing your, your direction, but that's where it starts. Now you have to do something. What, what do you do? To serve. To serve the living and true God. So you turn to God from idols to serve. You actually get busy in ministry God has given every Christian at least one spiritual gift and possibly more that we're all to be active serving, serving the Lord. And we, we just need to do that. That's the work of faith. That's the labor of love he's already talked about. We, we need to do that. There's evidence that we've turned direction. We've we, we turned around to serve the living and true God. And then the final one there, verse 10 and to wait. To wait. What, what do we wait for? For the Son from Heaven. For, the from, from, for Christ. We're waiting to wait for His Son from Heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We're waiting for the rapture. Really, that's the, the context of this whole book. We know in chapter 4 is that classic passage all about the rapture. But... Waiting, waiting for the return of Christ from heaven. And we know in chapter 4, Christ comes from heaven to the clouds. We meet him in the clouds and go to be with him for all time. But they're waiting for Christ because the last phrase there, he will deliver us from the wrath to come. Now, 
What wrath is that? There's a couple main interpretations of that. Some, especially opponents of the pre-trib rapture, will say, well, that's the wrath of hell. If you're, if you're not a believer, that's where you're going. You will experience the wrath, the wrath to come. Well, that's not, that's not, that doesn't make sense in this verse because if you're waiting for the return of Christ so you'll be delivered from wrath, well, if you're saved, you don't have, Christ doesn't have to come back so, so you'll go to heaven. If, you, if you're saved and you die, you're, you're immediately with Christ. You don't have to wait for the return of Christ. Uh, this, this is talking about the wrath of the tribulation, I think. And the, the wrath that comes shortly after the rapture. Now, the rapture isn't the instigator of the tribulation. It comes sometime after that. But I don't know what the gap is as far as time. It could be weeks or months. But there's all this chaos after all these people dis- disappear. After we're caught up to be with Christ and the chaos that ensues and then the, so many people are wondering, you know, the world is wondering, where did these people go? And then when the Antichrist comes onto the scene and signs that peace treaty, that's what starts the tribulation. That's the first uh, seal. So that's, that's the wrath to come. So here... Here we've seen a lot of reasons to be thankful for a local church. And I, I trust they're true here. And as a, a church member, I just hope that, you know, as you, as you look at that list and evaluate your own life, maybe you can pick one of those out that you say, I need to just really, I need to work on that. And you just seek to do that. Maybe it's, I need to work on being thankful for every church member. Lord, help me to do that. Help me to uh, be thankful, or even to pray all the time, but to be thankful in my prayers. Um, help me to, to serve you and have faith that proves, or have works that prove my faith. Help me to be loving. Um, Maybe you need to grow in your steadfastness of hope as you wait for the rapture. Here, that was one thing they were known for. They were constantly, they were waiting for the rapture. And that was forefront on their minds. And we often, in the busyness of life, we don't even think about it. We don't think that Christ could come today. And he certainly could. Do you... Do you understand the gospel? Do you, you know, does, that, does that affect your life? Do you imitate the life of your church leaders? As a church leader, do you live a life that is worthy of being imitated? That could be a convicting question. Or even as a church member, are you living a life that is worthy of being imitated by the world? Because that was, you know, their reputation was going for it. So, so many things here. Are you living a life of repentance? Turning to God from idols to serve and to wait for the rapture. So, so many good things. A lot of good reasons to be thankful. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you tonight for this passage of Scripture. As we look at this church, 
They were new in their faith, yet they were strong spiritually. And I pray tonight that, that we will be strong as well as we obey the principles of your word and obey Christ. Help us to be an example. Help us to do what we should. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to sing a closing song tonight. When we all get to heaven. 698. When we all get to heaven. Something to be thankful for.